Okay, so it's uh, so excited to be here. And um, maybe something else you guys may have seen me sometimes standing at the back um, at, during services. Um, so a lot of times I'm like in the back sort of checking to make sure that everything works out okay. And um, I'm called the operations person or something like that, the producer. And so a lot of times I'm like timing things. And so like the person up front here is giving the sermon and I'm in the back like, okay, we're getting close to the end there. And so I'm the pressure of cooker or whatever. And, and so they usually, now I get to experience for the first time being up here and having the clock on me and seeing if I can like do, um, do teaching and preaching and sharing about Jesus in a way that works time-wise. So pray for me. Let's pray together, actually. Lord, we just pray right now that um, as we come to your word, um, as we hear from you, um, that we will be changed. Amen. Isn't, that, isn't it cool, like, how people, you know, these people that Cassie's working with, they're, they're like, we, we really like getting help, but what we really want is to hear someone give us hope and speak truth to us, you know? Like, the whole world is just waiting. They may, here in Boston, sometimes we think that they're not waiting, that they're hoping that we won't say anything to us, um, but I really believe that the world is waiting for us to be living out of a place of revelation. Is, there, is it done? I'm hearing a little bit of feedback there. Can I do something to... Hold on. Let's see if... Is that... Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Where was I? So I was just saying that I, I just think... If we can live in a place where we're hearing from God, then we will have something to share with people that they're ready to hear. Because they're hungering to hear not from us, but from God. So, we're studying the book of Daniel, and so if you have your Bibles, you can go to chapter 2. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, we're only going to read one part of it. Uh, we have a limited amount of time, but, um, so Daniel chapter 2, it's, it's um, basically, the story is that um, there's this king, the king of Babylon, you know, Daniel and his friends are living there. And the king has this really um, disturbing dream. And he wakes up anxious, he's not able to go back to sleep, and he summons all of his magicians and his astrologers and all the priests and everyone uh, to, to him, and he says, okay, I had a dream, and I'm anxious to know it. That's actually what the Hebrew says, I'm anxious to know it, and, you know, which is kind of an unclear, what, what do you mean, king, you want to know it? Like, you just had the dream. He's like, no, I'm anxious to know it. They say, okay, well, why don't you tell us the dream, and we'll tell you the interpretation. He says, well, actually, my word is final. You tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation. Otherwise, I'm going to tear all of you limb from limb, and I'm going to turn your houses into a garbage dump. And, okay, now here's the deal. If you're, this is a king of the ancient Babylonian Empire. You do not want to say anything back to him. You just do what he tells you to do, but of course they can't do this. So they speak a second time, and they say, well, king, why don't you just tell us the dream, and then we'll interpret it. This is very daring for them to speak twice, but they don't have a lot of options. And he says, actually, no, you tell me the dream and you interpret it. And if you don't, I will know that you're being fraudulent with me. You're lying to me and I'm going to kill you. And they speak a third time to him because they really have no options. And they say, no king has ever requested anything like this ever before. This is totally impossible for us. The gods are up there, and we're down here. We can't figure out what dream you've had. 
And the king doesn't even say anything to them. He just decides he's going to kill not only them, but all of the, uh, the priests and the astrologers and the mages and the magicians, everyone, he's going to kill them all. So unfortunately, Daniel and his three friends are all part of this group. Somehow they ended up being lined up with astrologers and magicians. Um, that's the best way they knew how to classify people who love Jesus. Um, so, well, at that time, love God, all right? Jesus wasn't um, known to them. And so um, Daniel finds out the king is going to, the king is going to kill them all. And he goes up to actually the, the captain of the king's guard, who he should be careful talking to him because it's his job to kill Daniel. But they must have some previous relationship. He says, listen, listen, Arioch, I've heard that the king wants to kill us all. Why is he being so harsh? Why is, it, he, why is his request so urgent? Um, and um, the, the captain's guard tells him the whole story. And Daniel says, okay, give me a, let me have a talk with the king. So he goes in, tells the king, look, just give me a day. So he goes home and he prays with his friends. And then God gives him the whole content of the dream. A total miracle, incredible, right? And um, when he gets this, um, when he gets the story of the dream, then he, um, if you want to put up the, the praise psalm that Daniel sings, uh, and maybe we can, we can say it together, because this is, this is kind of like the centerpiece of the whole story. So let's read it all together. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So um, in, in our time, like when people tell stories, they generally like save the main point for the beginning or the end. But in the ancient world, telling stories, they leave the, the main point for the middle. And the middle of this story is the poem, the song that Daniel is singing. And basically, if I were to put this, what we just read into a nutshell, it's number one, that God's kingdom is going to reign inevitably, no matter how many kingdoms there are on this earth that think that they're strongest. Still, God will end up on top. We can count on that. That's the first thing that both this song and the entire story that we're talking about teaches. And then the second thing that it talks about here is that God likes to reveal himself to people. And maybe even sometimes to people who don't really expect or want to hear from God. Okay? Those are the two major points that that I'm going to make in this. Um, And so help me if I miss anything. Okay, so um, basically the, the, the first question that I want to start with is this question. Why is this king acting so strangely? Okay, like why is he totally capricious? Why is he doing um, this? Why is he making this demand that the sages all tell him what dream he's had? Um, So let me give you a little like historical background. So basically, we're talking about the Neo-Babylonian Empire, which shaped its idea of empire off of the earlier and older Babylonian Empire. And the way that both empires viewed the king is they didn't just see him as a political figure. They saw him as a political and spiritual power. 
Um, and so, and you see that in, in the older Babylonian Empire, they have these things called ziggurats, these temples that sort of go up to, they're supposed to kind of like go up to the sky, go up to the heavens, and the king goes up to the top of it as a priest king. And he hears from the gods, and then he is able to communicate um, wisdom in order to rule, in order to, um, you know, rule his subjects. And the, the sages and the counselors, I mean, these are not just people who are supposed to interpret dreams. They're people who are supposed to be counselors for him, supposed to help him discern the right decision to make in any given situation. And that whole basis of the decision-making process is supposed to be that there's this connection with divinity that helps and allows this king basically to be the ruler of the whole world. Okay? So um, another way that um, kings get connected, these Babylonian kings get connected to their gods, is through dreams. And so the king will have a dream, and... The sages will interpret the dream for the king, or sometimes they were known for, you know, the dreams might have some kind of spiritual negative quality to them, and there was supposed to be a ritualistic way that the sages would get rid of all that negative energy in the dream. So there's this whole system in place for the king to have direct connections to God or the gods, and for these sages to help him. But it's the king's job, it's the king's job to, get, to have the dream. It's the king's job to go up to the top of the ziggurat and, and hear. And then it's the sage's job, once he's gone up, to help him figure out, to sort out what, how this equates into um, daily life, into administering an empire. So Nebuchadnezzar, get it right. It's your job to tell us what dream you've had. This is the way it's always worked. And it's our job to interpret it. Why, why will Nebuchadnezzar not seem to follow the normal policy? I, I, I'm going to suggest that the text, doesn't, the text doesn't say clearly, and you can read it for I suggest reading Daniel too. Um, it doesn't say clearly why he's acting in such an unexpected way. But I think the text gives us, sort of suggests it. I think we can pull it out of there. I think he saw something in the dream that was different from anything he'd seen in dreams before. And I think that that gave him a new perspective on this whole political, spiritual situation that he was in. Okay, so what, what, what is the dream? Okay, so maybe you're familiar with the story. If not, I'll tell you. Daniel comes up to the king after he's received the dream. He says, okay, king, basically what's happened is you've had a dream where you saw a head of gold on a statue. There's this big, gigantic statue, and it has a head of gold, and it has shoulders of silver and arms of silver, and then the trunk is of bronze, and the legs are of iron. And then, like, this stone, not cut by a human hand, sort of comes out of, is cut, and then it basically knocks over the statue. The statue is basically, uh, you know, sort of melted away. It becomes um, like chaff that's blown away by the wind. And then the stone grows to become a mountain that covers the entire earth. So, you know... For me, that's the dream. It's like, okay, why was he having a hard time sleeping after he had this dream? I don't, I don't know if you've ever had a dream where you'll think of it from an objective perspective, and it doesn't seem like it's emotional, but you will experience a tremendous amount of motion, emotion in the dream, and you can't figure out why. This is, this is a human phenomenon normally. Of course, I think something particularly supernatural about Nebuchadnezzar's experience of the dream, um, but... He experiences this just weird image, and he's extremely nervous and anxious. Um, and so the question is, 
um, how is this image turned into him suddenly deciding that he's going to kill all of his sages if they won't tell him what the content of his dream is. So I would suggest, before talking about Daniel's interpretation, that Nebuchadnezzar saw somehow in this dream that his present understanding of the spiritual world and the physical world was false. It was totally incomplete. Something is missing, and without this piece, his whole religious experience is an absolute sham. His whole system of communicating with the gods, the whole political system that under that it built upon it, it's a scam. All these magicians and astrologers, these soothsayers and sages, they're all humbugs. You guys ever heard that term, humbug? Anyone ever seen The Wizard of Oz, right? What, what, what were you going to, you were going to say something about the humbug? You've heard of it, okay. Yeah, and, you know, there's that big Wizard of Oz, and he's blustering and scary, and then the, the dog uh, runs behind a curtain and uh, sees this guy who's, like, pulling a bunch of bells and whistles to control this, what appears to be this giant, monstrous creature. And they say, after they realize that it's really, the wizard is just this old man who's basically, he has a ruse of pretending that he's this wizard. They say, you're nothing but a humbug, right? And they are angry with him for fooling them, but they kind of need his help still. But when you fool a king, when you're a humbug and you fool a king, um, you better hope that he never figures out that you're fooling him. Because if he does figure out, he's going to kill you. Right? And that's exactly what's happening here. He sees that there's something very fake about the whole way that this spiritual system has been operating. But not only that, he sees something new about himself. And I think this is where he's really not getting sleep. He sees that he's not really the, the sole connector to the spiritual world. He's not the emperor, the king of this gigantic empire. He realizes that there's something more than he has ever taken into account. And Daniel explains the symbols. He says, the golden head is you, O king. And then the, the, uh, all the other parts of the statue are different empires that will come after you. And the stone that is going to come, um, it's the kingdom of God. It's gonna, I, I think Daniel is careful how he says it because he's, he's still being politically careful, even though he's speaking a word to the king that he's, you know, it's kind of daring to be saying this politically, um, you're basically saying your empire is going to end. I think it's interesting that he makes uh, Nebuchadnezzar a golden head. Or let's say Nebuchadnezzar in his dream, he's a golden head, right? I think God is nice enough when he communicates to us. Sometimes he like sort of, sort of fits things to our ego if we're not really ready to hear the full truth. But the full truth, the full truth is that actually the empires that are coming after him are actually going to be way stronger than he is. He's not really the golden head. And the truth is that the dream is saying that really all of it is total rubbish and it's going to end and it's going to really not matter in comparison to the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so that's, that's, that's something that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar takes, he takes it somewhat well. Um, now, how, how do I get all that from the dream, right? How do I get Nebuchadnezzar's response? It's not like the, the text says it. It's not so much even the dream itself. It's, it's his response, uh, that shows me that he's being transformed in his whole perspective by God's revelation. And that's actually a scriptural principle. There's a scripture in Hebrews that says that. It says, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide marrow and joint, soul and spirit. And it's able to judge the intentions of our heart. The idea here is this, that when God speaks to us, he doesn't just give us information. 
but he always works the transformation. He changes us on the inside. If, if we are hungry for transformation, if we sense that we cannot change ourselves, well, really what we're looking for is a revelation from God because that's guaranteed. It's part of the package. When we hear from God, we are changed by hearing from him. And this is happening to Nebuchadnezzar as well. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to say that Nebuchadnezzar then becomes changed into a perfect follower of God. Actually, that's quite clear as we follow that that's not happening. But I'm really interested in this idea that when we hear from God, we're changed at a deep, deep fundamental level. I I actually work as a therapist, as a counselor. And um, so I am constantly thinking with clients about how change is possible in their life. How can I how can I um, be an agent of change for them? And it's a secular clinic. And so it's not like I get to talk to them about Jesus all the time. Uh, and and I, what I actually experience a lot of times is frustration of realizing a lot of times, gee, if there's going to be change, it's going to be really slow. And it's going and it's, and it's to start off at a surface level. In fact, I had an experience when I was a kid. Um, I, I, had, um, I, I had ADHD. And so I, um, I, I had a lot of issues with learning and with um, keeping myself organized, paying attention in school. And, um, and I, I went to a counselor, and, um, the, and I also, uh, my mom went to the counselor, and my mom said, okay, so these are issues, but one of the biggest problems that I'm having right now is I can't get this kid to brush his teeth, right? The seventh grade kid, he won't brush his hair, he won't make his bed, he won't do anything. How do I get him to take care of himself? So the counselor, counselor does what many counselors do. And, it's, and it's, in some ways, it's, sometimes it's the best we can do, which is that we try just as best we can to change the behaviors, but we don't really look underneath to figure out what's the deeper level because sometimes people are not ready to explore that stuff, right? And it, I was a seventh grader. I know, I was in seventh grade. I still wasn't brushing my teeth. But... but um, Basically, he started trying to figure out, how can we sort of motivate these behaviors to change? So they, he encouraged my mom to set up this whole plan, like giving me points. If I brush my teeth, I get three points. If I you know, comb my hair, I get five points. If I clean my room, I get ten. And then you know, my mom you know, had to like find something to motivate me. So she came up with, uh, she's like, Aaron, what do, you, what do you want? I want a dog, Mom. So she's like, oh boy, a dog. My mom did not want a dog, but she also wanted me to brush my teeth. So she accepted the idea that I might be able to get a dog. And so I worked towards it, and I got my points, and I brushed my teeth, and my breath didn't smell. And I got a dog, and it was great. And then my mom was like, okay, that's great. Aaron, what do you want next? How do we keep this system going? I said, I don't want anything else. That was the end. There was no way to motivate me any further because you hadn't gone to that deeper level. See, it's so hard, actually. It's very hard with people... If, if they're not ready to, to deal with what's going on underneath, if you're just dealing with behaviors and just trying to motivate people, put a carrot in front of them, instead of figuring out what's actually going on in that underlying part of who they are, the Holy Spirit is capable of doing that, right? When we hear from God, we will be changed. It will be in a way that is impossible for man, but it is possible for God. And, and it was possible for Nebuchadnezzar, even, even though he was the king of this empire, um, that was totally opposed to the kingdom of God. Yet still, God spoke to him, and he was really changed. Okay? It doesn't mean that in being transformed that we become overpowered by God, right? 
when, when God changes us, it doesn't mean he forces us. We don't become robots suddenly where the Holy Spirit tells us what to do and we do it, right? No, it's, it's really still a choice that we have to make. God's working in us, and we respond to the work that he's doing. And if Nebuchadnezzar's not going to respond obediently, well, no matter how much work the Holy Spirit is ready to do, Nebuchadnezzar's not going to receive it, okay? Now, I think that there's something particular about us as Christians with the Holy Spirit. There are parts of us, there are stubborn aspects of ourselves that we're not ready to change, right? And I think, I think that we have a special portion of the Holy Spirit as Christians that was not available before Jesus resurrected from the dead and went up to heaven. The Holy Spirit, um, I've seen people change in ways that were totally impossible for man, but, but incredible for God. I've seen um, changes where people were stubborn in their hearts and, and really not wanting to change, and God did a work in them. But that's not true for, for Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and, and he was not ready to respond. In fact, we saw this uh, um, at World Mandate. We had this guy come and speak named Jim Yost. And um, he was talking about this idea that God is constantly speaking to us. He wants to talk to us. He wants to reveal himself to us. Um, but we're not always responding to what he commands us to do. We're not always obeying, right? And if we're not obeying what God commands, when he reveals himself to us, if we're not going to listen to him, eventually he's just not going to have anything more to say to us because we're not listening. We're not responding anymore. Boy, that really, like, struck me deep. And it's uh, something that I really, I really need to not overthink it, but instead just respond to it. Um, and so that, going to that place leads us directly to Daniel. Because what we'll see is that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't, he responds obediently, sort of, in the sense that he honors Daniel, which he promised, actually, that he was going to do anyway um, when he, he spoke to the the counselors and the sages. But, but what we see in this story is that Daniel, when he responds by going to his friends and saying, let's seek God, we get a sense there of what we see going up again in, in, a, in later chapters, that Daniel has been living in a place of revelation, hearing from God every day of his life, right? In fact, he, he is so consistent about wanting to hear from God and obey him that there's a point where it's made illegal for him to do it, and he still does it, even though it endangers his life. He is firmly bound to hearing from God and obeying him every day. And what we see in this story is an incredible comparison. On one hand, we have the kingdom of this world. We have these sages who are running scattered, terrified of this king. They're all humbugs. They're all fakes. They're all... They're all, they were all pretending to be a kingdom. And we've got a king who's pretending to be a king. And he's himself scared out of his mind. He can't sleep. And he's making incredibly irrational decisions to kill a large part of his counseling, his administration, just because they won't tell him what dream he has. On one side, we have the kingdom of this world. And on the other side, we see Daniel and we see his three friends and we see them in regular communion with the God who speaks to them. And they're not afraid. They want to hear more. The king hears God speaking, and he's terrified because he's not arranged his life around the king of kings. But when they hear him, they're so used to it, and they're ready to hear from him again. 
And when, they come to, when Daniel comes to the king, it's made very clear that he's extremely humble about it. He's not arrogant because he knows, he says it to the king. He says, look, just so you know, no one could do what you're, try, or you're telling your sages to do. It's absolutely impossible for anyone to tell you the content of that dream. But it's possible for God, and he's going to tell you right now through me. And, and, and it's really just, it's such a neat thing to see Daniel, his expectation that God will speak. Now, he does, he pleads with God. The story says that he pleads with him, he begs, um, but still there's a confidence about him as he goes before the king, of knowing that God has spoken to him, and that what God has spoken, he can hold steadfast to, even in the face of basically his life being threatened. We see the kingdom of God and the people who are servants in this kingdom, who are confident, who wait patiently on the Lord and hear from him and bring solutions that no one else could bring to political and spiritual crises in the world. That is really cool. That's the kind of thing I want to do, right? That's the kind of thing we want to do. We want to be in that place where we're hearing from God and we're ready to respond. We want to be in the place where if someone has heard from God in part, we're ready to complete the word in in translating for them. There's another really cool story that we heard at World Mandate of this guy named Bekele. Um, he, He shared a story about his father, who was a servant of the witch doctor. And um, his father uh, was very powerful in the village because he, he had a lot of magic that he continued to receive from working with this witch doctor. But he was also hopeless and sad because, of course, when you live in the kingdom of darkness, you may have power, but you have no hope. So the, um, the, 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 this, the father... Um, has, a, has a, an encounter with these two angels who come to him and, and say, um, we're going to take you up to see heaven and hell. And so they take him, and he sees heaven, he sees hell, and they say to him, so which one do you want to go to? You want to do heaven? You want to do hell? And he says, please, 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 I don't want to go to hell. Please, please send me to heaven. And they're like, that's a good choice. <laughs> we're going to send you two people tomorrow who are going to tell you how to get to heaven. When they come, you listen to them. And so the next day, two missionaries come and tell Bekele's father about Jesus. And he immediately gives his life to Jesus. And then he gathers the whole village together. And he tells them all about Jesus. And they are all baptized, right? They all decide to follow Jesus. And then Bekele, after telling the story about his father, he finishes it with this point. He says, God did not send angels to tell people about heaven. The angels were not able to complete the transaction. God sent the angels, and then the angels said, we're going to send you humans who are going to tell you about Jesus. Because God has decided to co-labor with us in Revelation. He's decided to send us. And, to, and, and, and how is that going to happen? Except that we are first hearing from him ourselves, and, and listening to him, and obeying him, and getting in that place where we're ready when other people want to hear uh, from God, or, or they think they've heard something, and we can come alongside them and confirm the word that God has planted in their hearts. So as we call the band back up, um, I, I want to encourage you to, um, to think about the kind of confidence that Daniel and his friends had. Not an arrogance, um, not a, uh, and not even like a demanding of God, 
but still a confidence in their father that when they go to him, they should ask wholeheartedly for him to give them what they need. Revelation, and that he'll give it to them. Um, I think along with that, I want to encourage you as well to be considering the possibility that there are people in your life whom God is speaking with, right? Who God is sharing himself and that God wants you to be walking alongside this person and, um, and completing the transaction, you know? Sharing um, what it is that God has, has already started to speak to them. So uh, I think that really there's two major responses that I, that I kind of have in my mind um, as we're kind of singing this last song and worshiping together. Um, and I think, you know, between these two, I hope there's, there's some of you that will find um, time to communicate with God and hear from him. The first is that you may feel like you're Nebuchadnezzar in some ways. I don't mean to say it in a negative way, except that you kind of feel like you're stuck in the status quo, that you um, really actually would maybe like to hear from God a lot, but you, ha- you feel like you haven't. And um, you, you feel like um, because you haven't been shaken from the sort of the, the political and spiritual and economic situation that you're in in your life. You, you can't see how God is actually the king of kings who reigns in your life. And you have other things in your life that really reign over your life, whether they're money or your job or family ex- obligations or friendships. Um, and you are in a place where you want God to speak in such a way that he would transform and I just want to say that if you are one of those people that really hungers to hear from God, I want to encourage you to remember that when you hear from him, there's going to be a response that he's going to, he's going to give you something to respond in obedience. And so the question you want to ask yourself is this. If you want to hear from him, are you ready to respond to what he's saying to you? Right? Second thing is, um, if you feel like you have received words from God, if you feel like you've heard from him, if you feel like the scriptures have been opened to you, that God has spoken to you in one way or another, but you don't feel like you have spent a lot of time in your life taking what you've learned from God and giving it to other people, and um, that revelation that you've been receiving from God feels like it's sort of stale, it's just sort of, or it's trapped in you. And there's is not a way that it's kind of has a chance to come out. Um, this is a time, I think, for, for us to be praying for you, that God would give you a position like Daniel, right? And that God would also awaken your mind to be looking for people, right? To be seeking out opportunities to be sharing with them. So let me close us in prayer. Um, Lord, we thank you so much um, for the fact that you speak. Um, and God, we, we are aware that you speak sometimes in a still and small voice. And that it's hard to discern always whether you're speaking. And that um, the best way for us to cultivate hearing you is not to wait till you speak clearly. But for us, when we think we hear what you're saying, for us to respond obediently and to cultivate a practice of hearing from you. Lord, we're asking that you would help us to cultivate that hearing ear, that you would dig us ears to hear what you're saying to us.
God, as we worship God, we're just praying right now that even in this moment, you would take opportunities to speak to us, to reveal yourself to us, and to awaken us to your presence. Amen. All right, let's all stand up and sing together.